0: My guest this week is Kayvon Kalatbari. He is currently running for mayor of Denver, which is the capital city of the state of Colorado. And I believe the state of Colorado has the same population as the entire country of New Zealand, or the city of Denver does. I I should have got those facts straight. The internet's right in front of me and I didn't even bother looking. Um, It doesn't matter. Kayvon is a very different politician than ones that I've ever imagined existed. In fact, I've never even spoken to a politician before because I generally just like to pretend like they don't exist. I sort of treat politicians the same way that, like, a little kid who covers their eyes and then thinks that the world can't see them anymore. I just pretend like politicians don't exist so that I can get on with my life and not have to think about like the horrifically stupid laws that are probably being passed on my behalf. But obviously I sort of realized that that wasn't the best policy to have in relation to politics in light of recent events when we hired a giant fucking sweet potato that grabs pussies. Uh, I realized I probably needed to take a little bit more interest in my civic duty as a member of a democratic nation. But talking to Kayvon made me feel like... That is possible, and to do it differently Kayvon's whole job right now is to try and do politics differently in the u s and I think he 's doing a pretty good job of it. This is a great conversation, especially if you 're bored or not interested in politics. It gives you a good entry into how politics maybe hopefully will be different in the new days to come. This is a great conversation, and uh, we recorded it in his office so at some points, there's an air conditioner that comes on kind of intermittently, and I'm really sorry. I've tried to get rid of the sound in this post-production, but um, I couldn't really do anything about it. So I hope it's not too distracting. Hope you guys have a great week. Oh, and if you want to update on Shaggy Froggest, the sugar-free August that we're doing, Melina accidentally ate honey on her oats, and we had to have a little discussion about that, didn't we?
1: I would call it misinformation by the organizer.
0: <laughs> we realize that even though honey comes out of a bee, it's still considered it's sugar. Blood. So we've had to cut that out, haven't we? I have. <laughs> we'll check in next week. Nobody gives a fuck about our shaggy for <laughs> Hope you guys have a great week. Hope you enjoy the conversation. And next week we're back with legendary Muay Thai fighter, John Wayne Parr. Have a good week. Enjoy the conversation. And I'll talk to you again soon. Yeah.
1: Doing great. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. Thanks for having me. You're an insanely busy guy.
1: Try to keep busy, sure. It, it, you know, getting into politics, especially understanding like the intersecting nature of policy and how everything kind of weaves together, I think uh, life in general is like that. Yeah, And I think totally that... Is. Um, you know I did this event called Art and Art Ampersand <clears throat> a few years ago, and it was about how art intersects with civics and entrepreneurship and mm. livelihood and technology and criminal justice and and all these things, and how no one, no matter what you do, should sit on an island with what you do right An yeah. artist should be an entrepreneur an artist should be engaged in politics an artist should. Uh, do all these things instead of just being like the struggling woe is me artist right like oh. you could be so much more powerful and take so much more agency over your lives if you understand the power you can have in these other fields and that's just how i i've lived life and it's got me into a lot of interesting things
0: yeah Well it's pretty amazing man well that's a good point because i think historically and definitely in my own head i um there are two drastically different worlds business and art are two do- totally different worlds and i don't know if that's like the way I grew up with my parents, because they're artists and struggled their whole lives. And it was almost like they basically instilled it into me that if you want to make artwork, you're just going to struggle. That's just the way that life is. And it's always been that way. And I've never, I still have no idea how to reconcile those two
1: things. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, an artist doesn't need to be a business person necessarily, but you should know when you're getting taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Right? You should understand um, <clears throat> the boundaries of what you should accept and what you know, what's inappropriate as far as being taken advantage of and on the business side you know one of the reasons I support art and the creative space so much is because I can't engage in it myself you know I'm a terrible dancer singer um, (laughs) I can't draw worth the shit Um, So I I like supporting creatives. And we found a way to do that that markets our businesses as well. Yeah. Um, And we just want to engage that community. It builds a really loyal following and a unique following. Mm. And uh, we've just found a a lot of success in that. And I think it's something a lot of businesses in Denver are really getting hip to these days.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah, because there, I was just saying this the other day, like, Those people, the kind of artist type of people that live on the extremities of what's normal, that's their job, is basically to go out in chaos, find an idea, and bring it back into reality for us to experience. And those people are the ones that are kind of consciously thinking all the time, changing the way that they perceive the world, open to ideas. They're the people, ideally, that should be engaged in politics, but most of the time are so disenfranchised they just i like, well, you know, fuck
1: it. Yeah, we've never tried to dictate or drive, you know, where people's art goes. Um, We've wanted to always be as uncensored as possible. Um, Through my arts magazine, through Sexpot Comedy, they're always about letting people create in the manner that they want to. Yeah. And just helping them do that in whatever media they see fit.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, what is Sexpot? I read about that just yesterday. I didn't realize that you even did something like that in the comedy world.
1: So Sexpot Comedy started in 2012 as a response to our lack of social consumption spaces for cannabis. Ah, yeah. So one of my uh, pizzerias down on South Pearl here is our second location of Sexy Pizza. Uh, We used to do these late night shows where after we closed the store for the day, regular hours, we'd put a tarp over the the front of the store so no one can see in. We'd make people go through the back and we did cannabis consumption shows late at night. Um, Technically, technically not legal because it was, you know, going back to Amendment 64 and what legalized cannabis here in Colorado, we were supposed to equalize it with alcohol. We are supposed to put adults on a level playing field with yes. purchase and consumption and, and give them the same rights, right? Because cannabis is safer than alcohol. And why should people who choose to consume cannabis be at a disadvantage simply because they choose to consume cannabis? So we would eat pizza and smoke cannabis inside and... Uh, watch comedy and we used to get these really cool comedians big names from comedy works that would come down and do this as the weird late night show in Denver
0: uh, when they were
1: in town and we just started it as those shows but it grew into something bigger where all of a sudden my pizzeria my dispensary were uh, sponsoring comedy showcases around town and independent venues and then we built our podcast recording studio across the street and we let folks use that for free we have audio and visual equipment that we let folks use for free that people can check check out. We have a relationship with Denver Open Media here in Denver and we have a TV and a radio show now and we let young creatives come in and learn how to use this really fancy, expensive equipment and just really get them prepared um, to create content. And it's turned into this thing where we have about 40 live shows a month in Denver, LA, New York and Chicago, uh, 25 podcasts on our network. I was an executive producer on Super Troopers 2 with that. And just it's it's opened the doors to a lot of different cool creative opportunities. Um, in and around comedy, and then we also try to be political with it as well. So, yeah. um, being a part of the narrative, not just around social consumption, but around social policy in general.
0: Yeah, shit. That's awesome, man. And you followed exactly what you believed in, and then suddenly it's just grown into these different various avenues.
1: Yeah, I, had, uh, I moved out to Denver in 2004, uh, right a week after I turned 21. I had an engineering job in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, where I was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been living on my own since I was 16 graduated college when I was 19 and got a job a couple days out of school with an engineering firm. They transferred me out here to start uh, the office in Denver um, to help uh, be with some of the workforce out there. And I did that for a couple years and just wasn't really digging uh, the gray cubicle uh, in the gray office, working with the people that were often gray inside. <laughs> and I, <clears throat> I, I had a couple years uh, prior to quitting uh, that job Right when I moved out to Denver, got involved with a group called SAFER, SAFER Alternative for Enjoyable Recreation. And it was uh, in response to the violence and the rape culture on campuses that was primarily fueled by alcohol. If If you had alcohol on campus, you just got a slap on the wrist at Colorado and Colorado State University. If you had cannabis on campus, you could get expelled, you could lose your housing, you could lose your scholarship. And people, again, were put at a disadvantage for using a drug that's safer. That wasn't fueling these other issues. Uh, So the group that I uh, ended up working with passed student body initiatives on both campuses to make the penalties the same uh, for having alcohol and cannabis on campus. That turned into Initiative 100 here in Denver, uh, which I worked on. I was like the first volunteer in the modern cannabis policy reform movement here. And it... Uh, decriminalized cannabis in Denver for adults up to an ounce. we were the first major city in the country to do that. And it was with those people that uh, started that organization that I ended up starting my pizzerias with. Uh, they're yeah. They're from Long Island, New York. And always wanted to name a place called Sexy Pizza, um, simply for the curiosity and the name that it kind of (laughs) incites in people. And then hopefully they get in and eat the pizza, and it's good enough that they'll come back. Mm. Um, So it was a marketing piece. And we had found out about a pizzeria in Capitol Hill that was for sale. Um, when I was kind of getting fed up with my job yeah. and we ended up, I ended up exhausting all my savings maxing out all the credit that I had available to buy this failing pizzeria in Capitol Hill 10 years ago in April and had never made a pizza, had never run a business mm-hmm. and quit the engineering job. And then all of a sudden found myself uh, three months behind on my mortgage and ended up in fear of losing my home, rented it out and ended up sleeping in a tent in the backyard of that house for three months and then on a buddy's floor uh, a couple blocks away from the pizzeria for another six months I was effectively homeless uh, yeah. for the first nine months of my entrepreneurial career 10 years ago the lady I was living with broke up with me she thought I was going crazy um, <laughs> gave away all my stuff and really just hit the reset button on life and um, although it was a uh, you know, there are difficult times, obviously, mostly around money. I was probably more free and happy than I've ever been. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think it's the, the best decision I ever made because it set me on this path.
0: Oh, shit, yeah, man. Well, and I think a lot of times uh, we really underestimate the value in struggle. And I think anyone who's been through struggle always reverts back to that and say, Oh, no, I've been through this hard thing, and that's how I got to here. But and culturally, like, if you're having a rough time, you're having a bad day, you're kind of like... Uh, just avoid, pretend like everything's okay, and then just get through it. You're fine. And this is like, I, I don't, I think a lot of people always question why I bother fighting. You know, like why, why would you put yourself through that? Well, why would you do that? And it's like there is not really a good way to explain that the purpose of putting yourself in a deeply uncomfortable situation helps you understand so much more about who you are and what you're capable of, and that you know that you can get through pretty much anything. You've gotten to this point. You can live in a tent in your backyard.
1: <laughs> I don't want to sound insensitive, but uh, Americans in general are pretty weak. We're pretty soft. Uh, we've been made to be so comfortable um, mm-hmm. that we, you know, we, we get the, the tiniest bit of controversy in our lives and we fold. Yeah, um, and we've seen that in our political process where people don't engage anymore because they're so, you know, quote unquote disenfranchised. I hear that all the time. We have to be disenfranchised about. It. You live in the most opportunistic country uh, yeah. in the world. Uh, are even the people that are most marginalized in this country are far better off than people that are most marginalized in other countries. Yeah, I mean, um, like get over it. Yeah, um, but it's hard because we have an environment that. Really caters to this feeling of helplessness here, and the fact that we you know, need to rely on other people and systems and all this to take care of ourselves, as opposed to being autonomous. Yeah. And you know, growing up, how I did. Our, our my father's an Iranian immigrant farmer, and moved here after the Iranian Revolution. <clears throat> had trouble integrating into society. Ended up putting us in bankruptcy twice because of his gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, parents got divorced at ten, at a single mom who worked. You know, 80 hours a week from 10 to 16, working two to three jobs to keep us afloat and maintain some sort of quality of life for us. And seeing her do that for six years and do nothing but smile and never, you know, show her, her, I'm sure she had a sad side, an anger side, a frustration uh, in her, but she never showed that to us. Um, that was a great example of how we should behave, you know, when yeah, you c- when you come up against something that you don't want to do, but you have to, Yeah. and I've always carried that with me, and I just see so many people that just act so freaking helpless yeah. um, in their lives today, for what, you know? Um, <laughs> but I also want to change that, and that's one of the reasons I'm running for office is I think we need to educate people about these things. Our, our school system makes people helpless. Yes. I mean, it teaches mm-hmm. them a false history. Um, it teaches them that, you know, how we live today is appropriate, that it's the best that it can be, that these systems are in place for a reason. I, most of the systems are BS. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the, um, the ways that we educate people to be employees, to be kind of sheepish, um, and how we behave, I think is totally anti American yeah. um, I think we should teach people to be entrepreneurs more. I think we should teach people to start collective and employee-owned businesses and and empower people from the bottom up yeah. uh, to be activists and to challenge everything that you're told and to like that's american right yeah, that, yeah. that's at the heart of what it what it is to be american and I think uh, if we can start to develop that in our younger people, and I think Trump's a great um, kind of canvas um, to have those conversations. Uh, he, you know, the, I, I'm I'm happy Trump got elected. I'm gonna say it right there. <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled that he got elected because Hillary Clinton would have been more of the status quo. She would have, she was more of an old white man than Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders was, yeah, right? <clears throat> she would have continued with the same things that put us in the position that we're in right now, which is grand inequity in this country and a feeling of helplessness amongst people. And Donald Trump uh, is showing everybody that um, if we choose to be disengaged, that we could lose everything um, overnight. And yeah. if you don't fight for it, if you don't have civics as a part of your life weekly, like we exercise, like we want to eat healthy, like we want to have fun, like we want to spend time finding a significant other. Civics should be in that same conversation about something we do every day and every week and sharpen our skill sets on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, man. Well, I I agree with you. I think that um, someone was asking me this when I was back home in Australia right before the election, and they were like, well, what would you do if Trump got elected? And I was like, to be honest with you... It just shows what a circus this fucking thing is. Like, we've gotten to a point where politics in America has become so disassociated from the people. The people themselves don't even know what the hell's going on. They don't even care anymore. And then it's just an absolute money show. That's all it is. And I think we need a major separation between money and politics so that you actually just get back to people say this, we need to do this. I mean, I think the two-party system is, is... a dangerous road. I think that that needs to be gone. But I don't know, like, do you see any risk in removing the two-party system?
1: I, if there is, it can be worse than what our risks are today with them. Yeah. Um, I'm unaffiliated. proud. I've always been. I always will be. Uh, I think to take a very difficult world with all its complex systems, people, religions, ideologies, it's very dangerous to think that you can split it up into two columns yeah. right, of thought. And that's that's why what, what the Democratic Party's done to shoot themselves in the foot. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, and I want to I want to make a clarification that being unaffiliated is not being a centrist, right? We have uh, the the Democratic Party today is very centrist. They dilute their values mm. to the point that nothing gets done. They find so much compromise to meet in the middle that nothing gets accomplished. Nothing moves forward. Yeah. I stand very far left in my social. Um, Values. I believe that a government and the private space should work together to make sure everybody has housing, healthy food, health care, education, and the Internet. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't criminalize public health concerns, uh, homelessness, sex work, drug use, mental health. But on the other end of the spectrum, I think if people want to work their ass off and have more than others, then they should be afforded that right. Mm-hmm. But it should not be at the expense of the others. Yeah, <clears throat> I also believe in small government. I believe in limited regulation as a business owner and seeing the overreach that we have in this city and state and federal government on businesses, the egregious taxes mm-hmm. that we pull from people that are working their ass off from employees just so they can waste it. Um, uh, in a a bureaucracy that's incredibly inefficient. Um, I'm very much about limiting corruption and increasing transparency in government and having community involvement be at the heart and the core of every decision made in government. So I'm I'm really incredibly conservative um, in that regard, but I'm also incredibly uh, liberal. That's what being an unaffiliated means to me, is sticking to your guns and having values and putting your foot down when people challenge them. Um, It's the opposite of being a centrist, The neocons and the neoliberals are the same. They're the same people
0: um, with with
1: different filters that they put on their talking points. And I'm more afraid of neoliberals than I am neoconservatives. Oh,
0: my God. I know.
1: Neoconservatives tell you to their face that they don't give a shit about people. (laughs) Neoliberals tell you, oh, they care about people so much and they want to take care of the most marginalized. And they stab those same people in the back
0: yeah well and they're really diluting issues at this this moment because it's all it's all just become a joke like I can't believe how hard it is to have conversations with people I mean liberal people I just sit down and have a conversation with them that normally under normal circumstances we're the same type of thinking person creative thinking person thinking about different issues thinking about ways around stuff and these people are so stuck in there not Hillary that's it that's all there was and it was like man you cannot see anything it's like I'm talking to a Patriots fan about the Broncos like it's that stupid it's just all it is has become we're on these teams
1: yep yeah I can't Uh, I've dealt with that a lot here in Denver I think Alexandria Ocasio Cortez in New York is a great example of where we're headed hopefully which is one having somebody that has no political experience has a very real life experience a real story um, to Mm -hmm. tell about why she believes what she does because she's been through those struggles right yeah People, you know i i i want the day where a shoemaker um go runs for city council and then they do their term or two and then they go back to being a damn shoemaker and, mm. and they're not a career politician so i like people like her and myself and people that don't have this political experience getting in um but two and maybe even more in, uh, important she got people that traditionally weren't engaged engaged. And when when you saw the polling before the primary election, she was down by like twenty points or something like that. Um, it's because the Democratic Party was thinking along their traditional lines and going after the same people that have voted for the last few decades and saying these are the only people that are ever gonna vote and and we've given up on everybody else and we're Mm -hmm. not gonna engage and she ended up winning by like 15 or 20 points. Yeah, wow. And it was this massive swing because they weren't polling people that don't traditionally vote, but Alexandria was reaching out to them.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's kind of what we're going to do here in Denver. When you look at our predominant voting block, under 40 is unaffiliated here. Mm-hmm. You have a massive um, break in the Democratic Party here where progressives are, are getting fed up and either threatening to leave or leaving or polling people um, from the further left side of things. And I, those are my people, right? I'm mm-hmm. also going to go after the Republicans. I'm also going to go after the Green Party. I'm also going to go after the Libertarians and show that we can kind of coalesce around good ideas and a better way of yes, doing man. things and not be caught up in this, yeah, I'm only going to talk to Democrats because they are my team. I think that's a, a very dangerous way of behaving.
0: Yeah, and it, that's the way that bad policies get put in place, I think, because it's just too easy to slide everything under that one banner. It's too creepy. And what you said before is like rallying around good ideas that's the central core and that's what should be driving any human being as well. It's like the, if we have I think with the advent of the internet, we have an option now to digest a whole lot more information. There's a lot of bad information, there's a lot of good information, it doesn't really matter. The point is is that it's teaching people now to have more of an objective view when they look at things and ideally be able to start thinking for themselves. Mm -hmm. If we've got five opposing points on one single topic, then instead of just digesting what's happening on the evening news, you have an option to look at a few different perspectives. The trouble is also, though, I think, what gets a bit scary is that, you know, in Facebook and Instagram, whatever, you choose your likes, you choose your inputs, and so it can become this kind of echo chamber where you just suddenly you have a false reality that this is my version of the world. Whatever it is, I can filter out everything else, and this is my only input. So I wonder, like, how is it that we can start engaging people that otherwise felt disenfranchised before without kind of empowering weird, bad ideas?
1: Well, I think, you know, first of all, we need to go to where people are that haven't been engaged. I look at young people. Mm. I look at creatives. I look at people of color. I look at poor people. These are all folks that primarily don't vote in local elections. Yeah, and th- you know this is what's sad about Denver is, I think we had like 85, 86% turnout in our last presidential election of registered voters, which is the highest in the country.
0: Yeah, that's
1: huge. <clears throat> last municipal election for mayor, we had 30% turnout. <laughs> and oh, man. we've been you know kind of celebrated as the most accessible place to vote in America here in Denver. Uh, You can same-day register. You can uh, register online. There's all these easy ways to register, and there's always people trying to get you registered. And then you get a ballot mailed to your house. Like, you can literally vote in your underwear naked if you want. (laughs) And it's as easy as it can be. And people, those 56% that didn't vote in the last municipal election but did in the presidential, know the process. They voted before. So they're going to get a ballot mailed to their house anyways. You just have to make them understand that who the mayor is, who your city council members are in a city like Denver, is far more important than who your president is. Yeah. You know, Granted, that might be different for certain people around immigration and things like that. For the vast majority of people that live in Denver, who your mayor is is far more important. And we need to get through them on that and, and equate some of these issues that they're dealing with around housing, transportation, um, you know, uh, inaccessible education, environment, things that young people care about, We have to show them that there is a different way, there is something else possible, um, and we have to reach them by going to them and encouraging them. But also when we start knocking doors and cutting turf, right, I go back to uh, Ocasio-Cortez's example where a Democrat, a traditional Democrat is going to go and only knock on traditional Democrat doors and people who are most likely to vote. I'm going to start hitting unaffiliated doors, probably people that haven't voted in any municipal election but didn't last presidential, yeah. you know, and 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 talk to them one-on-one. And I'm doing interesting things like my pop-up desk where I just go set it out in a, in a busy coffee shop or out in a park on a busy Saturday and just have one-on-one meetings with people because our mayor, our, our, our elected officials right now are so inaccessible. Mm-hmm. that I want to create this era of accessibility. We did a book club last night about policy in Denver and, and yeah, how this book we were reading relates to what's happening. In Denver, and we're just doing creative things that I think are engaging folks that wouldn't otherwise be. But you have to go to where folks are and do what they're doing to, to make that happen, I think.
0: Yeah. Do you find that it's difficult to be your authentic self when you're doing this kind of stuff?
1: <clears throat> Only when my campaign manager tells me that I shouldn't do that. Or she was, <laughs> um, she's, yeah, you know, she. She is making uh, me a better candidate, no doubt. I also like to think that I'm making her a better campaign manager because she is a traditional dem person. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like to think that I'm pulling her into some new ideas and new ways of engaging people that will, I I would like to think, um, improve uh, what she's doing uh, in the future. Um, But, you know, it's a challenge uh, from what we talked about before we started recording to swearing, right, and trying to mitigate that in front of certain crowds, I don't know. I've had a lot of folks, especially in younger crowds, come up to me and say, I really, you know, they're just smiling. They got a smirk on their face like, I'm glad you swore like that. You know, like simple things like that, creating authenticity or um, creating authenticity in this process. Yeah. um, Just by being yourself. I think that people really appreciate. I get uh, some given some shit every once in a while about my speaking And, and sometimes I maybe mumble a little bit or have a low voice or you know just don't speak in this exciting salesman way that politicians do.
0: Oh it's the grossest thing to listen to the way you know I mean it's just this stilted rhythmic conversation that nobody speaks like that do you know what I mean and I think really psychologically it puts a huge barrier between the people that are supposed to represent us and who we actually are. I think it's a nice thing but I also think that in some way we kind of want to believe in this office of the politician, that they, they're they kind of the professional. And I think a lot of people get a little... I think there's a, a little bit of an element of danger now that they've seen what an unprofessional politician can look like in the form of Donald Trump, that that's like, you know, people are kind of like, oh, shit, now we're recoiling. We want to go back to that safe Hillary Clinton style, which I think is so creepy because she... You're hiding behind this office of a person that you're supposed to be representing this shell of a person and really at the inside you're just fully rotten, completely rotten from the inside out, because that's all the only way you got to be a politician in the first place was
1: by being an asshole. Yeah. Yeah, we need to have people if, if they're to be truly representative of the folks that voted them into office, gotta be a real person with real experiences and, and act and talk like people do. And it's okay to To have emotion, it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to not be polished. That's that's human nature, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think the more that that enters itself into politics, the more we're going to see those as good examples of how, uh, you know, it's creating a contrast of what people want to see, and they're going to probably aspire to that more. Hopefully, you know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of right now. You have like the very moderate Democrats that want to like tinker on the inside, and they're all about. And how can we just change this one little thing to try to either fix our system or get more people to vote for us? And then you have the people on the far left that are getting to the point, especially after Donald Trump, where they're like, I want to burn this shit to the ground. I don't think either of those are solutions. (laughs) I'm about creating parallel tracks of contrast right mm-hmm. new systems that we can stand up slowly that we can prove the model of and compete against these traditional ones whether it's in banking or social housing um, decriminalizing drugs and, and using this rehabilitative approach mm-hmm. um, to mental health and, and substance abuse and, and not saying we're gonna like ditch these other systems off the bat because people are gonna you know fight tooth and nail to keep some of them in place they're so used to it. But to, to have enough time to, to show that these new things work, these new ideas work, and that's what will ultimately win.
0: Yeah, how, how is that project going, the little tiny houses project in um, Denver?
1: It's good. We just had one denied, our second one denied by the city last week, which pisses me off. And we're going to be fighting. Um at the end of the day, if we were to get this one set up and our third one that we're planning on at the end of the year, we would have housed 50 people for the cost of two status quo affordable housing units. Wow. And beyond just putting a roof over somebody's head, I think the thing that I learned from those uh, that I got out of them the most was that it's not just the roof over their head, right? We can build all the the high rises you want and stick people in a box somewhere. Yeah. In those tiny house villages, folks have... are they're, they're building community again. They're building mm-hmm. family. They're, they're getting responsibilities again. They have chores. They have to be at the weekly meeting every Monday. Like, they're getting reintegrated back into society and mm-hmm. not just given a place to live, um, but given um, uh, things around them that they're responsible to and for. And I think that's just as important as anything else. Yeah. Um, but we bring services there on a weekly basis. And, you know, a laundry truck goes there so they can do their laundry every week. And, and it really builds a sustainable community <laughs> community where we've seen uh, five or six people find uh, places to live permanently. We've seen five or six people find full-time employment. We've seen two people start small businesses, two people go back to school. You know, people pursue their artistic things again. And it's just giving people a sense of purpose again. And so right now we're, we're trying to highlight the populations on the street that cannot use the shelter system, right? Beyond them just being filthy, uh, disease-ridden, violent, dangerous, people get their stuff stolen uh, because they have to leave it outside, they can't take it in. Mm -hmm. There's all these reasons why people don't use it, but there's also demographics of people that can't use them. Veterans who have, or people who have PTSD that can't sleep on a, a, floor that with a ton of people that's loud and whatever all night, couples and families because men and women get split up people with animals, whether they're service dogs or they're only you know, they people have animals because they need to feel safe and comforted on the streets um, transgender people um, on and on and on transgender
0: people can't use a shelter
1: they can, yeah. but you can't go into the one that you identify because we have all these license laws, oh, right? Yeah. so a man who identifies, somebody who's born a man identifies as a woman um, can't go into the shelter that they feel most comfortable now there is oh, one right. shelter that serves Um, transgender folks but if you have one instance of violence or taking drugs in or whatever you can get banned from these shelters for life and so these people get left out on the street so the first one highlighted on all those kind of populations the second one is going to focus on trans and cis women that have experienced violence on the streets and the third one is going to focus on refugees Mm -hmm. Uh, and we'll see where we get but tiny homes aren't the solution to affordable housing and, and homelessness but they do show that there's a creative option out there that people are willing to pursue. And we can look at accessory dwelling units and co-living opportunities and live workspaces and all these creative things that we can do to create lower price point options to construct and maintain housing. Yeah. Our occupancy, zoning, and building codes preclude us from doing a lot of these things. Wow. So we're trying to change the laws on that. But we have to start opening our minds about creating a different... Uh, again, a, a, a parallel system of a, a different way that people are okay living. You yeah. know, some people are okay with a 150-square-foot studio if, uh, if you're transitioning out of homelessness. Like, the alternative is sleeping on the street. I'm going to take that tiny home every day.
0: Yeah, man. Um,
1: and we need to understand that and know that not everybody needs a secure building with a one-bedroom and, a you know, 500-square-feet around them.
0: Yeah, what do you think is like one of the main causes for homelessness in Denver, especially? Because I, I couldn't believe how many homeless people there are in Denver at the
1: moment. Yeah, From- we have, we have uh, 15 to 20,000 people that will experience homelessness in Denver at some point throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, Three to 4,000 Denver public school students um, will be homeless at some point this year. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the, probably the saddest part of it. There's a lot of reasons why people become homeless, right? You lose a spouse, lose a job. Um, have a health moment no health insurance or you're underinsured um, there's a lot of re- uh, landlord opportunism like there's there's a lot of reasons why people lose their housing so I think that the first thing that we need to as a city do is make sure that people if they are in stable housing don't lose that that's mm-hmm. far less expensive than waiting until they're on the streets and dealing with some of these other issues uh-huh. to, to maintain them on their feet as opposed to trying to lift them back and put them on their feet um, <clears throat> I think, Homelessness is perpetuated by these systems that we have in this country of criminalizing public health matters. Yeah. And when, when you are at the end of your rope and you've tried everything, you've worked hard, some people have, um, they, get, they get put in these holes, sometimes because of the system, sometimes because of these moments, sometimes because they're black. Right? Sometimes because they're brown. Sometimes because they're transgender. There's all sorts of biases that put people in those bad spots. But when they're on the street, you can't start criminalizing that existence. And that's what we do here in Denver and in major cities across Yeah,
0: okay, do you mind talking about that law? Look, what happened there?
1: Well, right now we have almost 200 laws, uh, municipal level in Colorado, that criminalize homelessness in some fashion. You can't <laughs> panhandle. You can't sleep in public spaces. You can't share food in public. You can't sleep in a car that's parked legally um, there, there's all these things that, I mean, think about sharing food. You think they're going to go to the nice, well-to-do white family in Washington Park and tell them that they can't have a picnic? Yeah, fully. right. They're not going after them. They're mm-hmm. doing it to the people that are trying to feed the homeless downtown in parks and, and trying to take on the responsibility of what our city should be doing to take care of these people. And even beyond the criminalization, if you go to the city, they'll say, we, we barely arrest anybody. Uh, for homelessness, I go one if you arrest one person for being homeless that 's one too many, <laughs> but two it 's through it 's through these laws that maybe don 't end up being criminal, but they 're harassment um, yeah. i slept, 've slept out with the people experiencing homelessness quite a bit over the last three years i 've been swept by police officers myself, and sweeping is when they come by. When you're sleeping, not in the public right away, you're off to the side, you're not bothering anybody, I'm just wrapped up in a sleeping bag, and cops will come by four times throughout the night in a six-hour period and tell you to move along. And you're like, move along to where? I'm not going to go to the shelter system. And they say, I don't know, but you can't stay here. So what do you do? You pick up all your shit, and you move around the corner, and you plop down, you fall asleep again, they come by and harass you an hour and a half later. And what what do they get out of that? What does anybody get out of that? And how much money we spend on these police officers just harassing these homeless people all night that are trying to survive. It's insane. And then when you get into our criminal justice system, you know, and, and, and really quick, people do get fined as well. And a fine, even though it's not criminal, it's civil, right, ends up being criminal because if you can't pay that fine, you get a warrant out and they end up arresting you for yeah, it. Yeah,
0: like the last thing you need when you're homeless is a fine. Right. You don't have enough money to buy yourself food. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and it's the same thing with renters where 90% of renters in uh, who get eviction notices that have legal representation in that get to stay in their homes Because 90% of those people were getting pushed out by landlords doing illegal things. Oh, wow. But if you don't have enough to pay your rent, how are you going to pay for an attorney, right? So we need to create a legal defense fund as a city to really support these folks that can't afford one. But back to the criminalization, it it is one-third the cost to subsidize somebody's housing outside of jail than it is to put them in jail. Yeah. right? Mental health, substance abuse services cost far less money and are far more effective and cost efficient outside of jail than they are in jail. So why are we putting people in jail for public health matters where they're just trying to survive? And I would apply that to homelessness, mental health, substance abuse, um, sex work. People are doing those as mechanisms of survival, mm-hmm. um, engaging in bad behavior around those um, to get put in jail. But then, now they have, even if they're not convicted of these crimes, Um, an arrest record that Mm. precludes them from fair housing and employment and financial aid and child custody. You can't get uh, some public housing uh, at the federal level if you have bad credit or if you have a criminal record, right? Are these not the people that need it the most, right, the supportive housing? Um, So our system is really created to suppress people, primarily people of color, as those are the folks that are mostly convicted, get the longest sentences associated with these public health matters. And it's just counterproductive. If you're a conservative, if you're a real conservative, you should hate the way that we criminalize these things because we end up paying so much more as a society through taxpayer dollars. And if you're a liberal, you should care about this because you're locking people up for trying to survive in life. Mm. And why neither side has, has, has figured this out, and this is what pisses me off about party politics... Why neither side has been a champion for this just amazes me. The fact that the Democrats aren't champions of cannabis legalization yet blows my fucking mind. Yes, I agree. If they would have come out uh, for cannabis legalization, they would have beat Trump last time around. Trump, I'm going to say it right now, is going to get reelected, and he's going to do it by legalizing cannabis in this country. And when you talk about 800,000 people going to jail every year for simple cannabis possession, getting these barriers, these arbitrary barriers put in their lives. The fact that Democrats and and the fact that they speak about being social justice warriors haven't figured this out, that most people in America want it, Mm. that 64% of of, uh, Americans believe in adult use cannabis and think it should be legal, that over 90% think that medical cannabis should be legal, how stupid are you that you haven't grabbed onto this issue yet? It amazes uh-huh.
0: me. It is really, it really is mind-boggling, man. It's the same in Australia. I, I think, who knows what the fuck is, is driving that behavior. I don't know what's behind it. I mean, you can come up with a billion different conspiracy theories, and there's a bunch of reasons for it. But what... what like, in your opinion, what do you think is fueling that kind of system? Like, why why would we keep that system in place? Is it just rigid beliefs, or is there more to it, do you think?
1: No, I go, I go back to uh, what we were talking about earlier, where neoconservatives and neoliberals are the same thing. They simply have different filters that they put their bullshit through. Yeah. And a neoliberal is also a corporate democrat. They have as many financial interests in the state of things today as these conservative people do that always get the, told that they're the you know, we as a society are told that it's the neocons that own the private prisons and they're the ones you know that are really benefiting from big business and all that give me a break the democrats own as many of those big businesses and are profiting off the backs of people in this country as much as the republicans are mm-hmm. and they're afraid of losing ground take uh, governor hickenlooper for instance in this state he's the most centrist like washed up um no values, doesn't stand for anything Democrat that you can possibly have. He's running for president, by the way, which is frightening. I, know. <laughs> I can't imagine somebody voting for somebody that looks as weak as he does and acts as weak as he does. Um, but he, after we passed Initiative 100 here in Denver that decriminalized cannabis, did not instruct law enforcement to stop arresting and citing people for cannabis. And arrests went up the next year. Whoa. Now, I, I chased him around in a chicken suit at five <laughs> different town hall meetings. Because he, he wouldn't debate. He wouldn't say why arrests went up. He wouldn't, he wouldn't justify it in any way. Now, at the end of the day, if you look at where his interests are, his financial interests, they're in the microbrew industry. He was one of the guys that started here. And he felt, especially because of our messaging that cannabis legalization was a threat to his bottom line. It was a threat to his friend's bottom line. And he has been against cannabis since day one because he still has these financial interests in alcohol. And his fears have come to fruition since legalization here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite stat outside of teen use going down, which it has. My favorite stat is that cannabis consumption amongst 18 to 35-year-olds has gone up, and their alcohol consumption has gone down. And it is a real threat to that regulated industry, and that's why they perpetuate some of these bad laws. It's for pure greed, oh. and we should view Democrats' greed the same as, as Republicans when it comes to big business.
0: Yeah, should you, man. Well, I think there's something really nice about that, too, because uh, cannabis, in my opinion, like I stopped drinking about two and a half years ago, and <clears throat> I know uh, alcohol, there are certain drugs that are kind of numbers that cover everything that make you feel nothing that make you escape from whatever's going on and then there are certain kinds of drugs and it's annoying to me that we even group them in the same category but there are certain kind of drugs that are sort of openers that make you feel a little bit more connected to yourself or your environment or people around you and a lot of times people that really enjoy the numbers really don't like the openers because we are so disconnected from the inside of our own psyche we spend all this time running away from what's going on in the inside of our minds and I think when you smoke weed, especially in an environment that you're kind of comfortable in and you ease your way into it and you get a feel for it, you can start to become kind of closer friends with the inside of your psyche, become, get to know yourself a little bit better. And I think that usually leads to, oh, I don't need to numb my life so much. I'm a little bit more comfortable inside my own skin. And it was that way, especially for me. Why well, drunk? Not because I like drinking, but because it helped me feel like I wasn't so awkward. I was a socially awkward type of person. And then being out there with people and trying to be as somebody and trying to talk to people, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. So if I just got drunk, I didn't have to remember it. I didn't have to feel uncomfortable. And now, it is kind of funny, like, taking drugs and then being amongst... <laughs> <laughs> the drinking population, I don't even know. I can't even relate to anybody anymore. It's almost like I just feel like I'm kind of on this. You know, so like alternate dimension when I watch people. And, and that it works fine. I mean, the idea is that basically the the more comfortable I can be in my skin without trying to escape my own reality, the better. And I think it helps other people, too. The more people see that I can be comfortable that way, the more they kind of tend to relax, I think, a little mm-hmm.
1: bit. Well, this, I mean, you take a look at our, our two biggest drug problems in the country. are issues because of our... Big business and cities and entertainers and we have the system of celebrating um, very very dangerous drugs. The most dangerous alcohol is the most dangerous. It kills one in seven working age Americans. How are we not railing against this as a drug because people are profiting massively from it? The opioid epidemic, right? We we were we're so worried about heroin and we're so worried about all these other drugs that don't kill nearly the people that prescription opioids do. Um, And we didn't even give a shit about prescription opioids until they started killing rich white people, right? And suburbanites and soccer moms and and their little rich white kids. That's when we started caring. We didn't give a shit that black and brown people have been dying from, you know, heroin and and other drugs for decades, right? We never viewed it as a public health crisis. Now, all of a sudden, the tables have turned because it's wealthy white people dying.
0: Why does it happen?
1: The powers that be I mean it's like the crack cocaine <clears throat> disparity oh, right fuck, yeah. you know you would get 10 20 30 times the prison sentence for having crack even though it's the same freaking thing as cocaine it's just that black and brown people use crack primarily and white people use cocaine mm-hmm. and th- we have laws that are stood up perpetuated and bastardized by well to do white people it's not a bash on all white people but when you look at the, the ownership in this country and, and who is making laws and driving it it is wealthy white people that have a stake in how things are done and they're comfortable. And they're the, if not the one percenters, the 5%ers that are very comfortable and want to keep going what's happening. And it's, it's just a system we're in. So that, that's one of the reasons I want to open up this public health discussion is we need to be just honest and, and look at people the same across the board and the struggles that they're dealing with and understand that opioid abuse, um, prescriptions that you get from your doctor that shouldn't have prescribed you, um, those for the umpteenth time uh, is the same as somebody dealing with uh, meth issues yeah. um, we're using it as, as you kind of said to like numb mm-hmm. um, this pain that we're dealing with from uh, loss of, of a family member uh, you know a health condition uh, something people are using it not because they're bad people mm-hmm. they're using these drugs they're um, you know engaging in sex work to survive and to deal with how difficult life is mm-hmm. and we started talking earlier about You know when we don't teach people and grow people up in an environment that's like self-empowering and and that is like that teaches folks that they should question uh, the things that you learn in school and we absolutely should Um, but we don't because we don't teach people those things we just say that this is the reality that we live in and and I can't hack it so I'm going to find some way to escape and I think that's why a lot of people use drugs yeah. is to just escape and not deal with this reality that they think that they can't change.
0: Yeah, which is so frustrating because I think, I mean, obviously we call it a representative democracy. The idea is that it's supposed to be, we are supposed to be getting these people into power. You're talking before about people taking our government taking way too many taxes to go through an inefficient bureaucracy, and more than that is that we watch what our money's being spent on. Like, and how frustrating is that if you hired somebody to come into your house and fix your windows and then they came and broke three windows and then we're like, well, sorry, but you still have to pay me. And it's like, oh, wait a second. I hired you to do a job. You did exactly the opposite of what I wanted you to do. And now you still want me to keep paying you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I mean, at this point, we should all just go, fuck you. I'm not paying it. You yeah. know what I mean? Until you start actually representing me, I'm not paying
1: it. Then you go to jail.
0: Yeah, I exactly. go to jail for
1: not paying your taxes. <laughs> Yeah. There's a big movement right now to try to keep, you know, municipal. why why is the City and County of Denver paying the feds anything? Mm. Right? Why is why is the state of Colorado paying the federal government anything? I think there's only three or four states that pay the federal government more than the federal government provides them. California is one of them. That's why they have leverage in the immigration discussion. And California can tell the federal government, you want to come into our state? We're not going to cooperate for Dick. Um, We're not going to do anything to perpetuate an agenda that we don't agree with. And fine, you want to cut off our federal funding? We're going to stop paying you too, and you lose out at the end of the day. And we need to get back to this place where we're keeping money here and Mm -hmm. quit All the taxes that are paid are administratively collected, administratively stored, administratively spent. They're filtered down through multiple departments and divisions and organizations and associations. And how much money do we lose in overhead just managing this money? Um, They say that, I forget what it is, the the percentage of uh, money spent that's actually collected, it's menial. Um, so the more that you can keep it in the hands of people in the first place, uh, the more you can keep it in local governments, the more that that fuels local economies. Yeah. Um, we all win at the end, but taxes have gotten out of control. And that's why, I mean, I don't agree with Donald Trump, especially with how he did tax reform, but we need massive tax reform. Um, and I don't even think it comes from necessarily taxing the rich a whole lot more, even though I'd like to do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's just not taxing people that don't have money. Mm-hmm. Um, tax the rich at the same level that they are, that's fine. Um, But let's tax far less those folks that don't have the means, let them keep their money, and let's fuel local economies. Mm. Um, I couldn't give a shit about the the federal government, you know, wasting it on defense spending and some of the things that they spend on. They should be there for roads and Mm. and defense of our nation, not inducing wars in other countries. And, you know, the things that we need right um, not the things that we do to perpetuate private business um, the more we can keep it local the better you know you spend at a local business here in in denver 43 percent of that money spent stays in denver you spend it at walmart 13 percent of that money stays in denver and uh, people need to get hip to this and know that we are better off trying to be as self-sustaining as possible uh, in yeah, our own economies locally
0: wow man what um What kind of made you feel like this was the road that you wanted to go down? Like, I mean, you've got so much knowledge in all of these kind of various areas. And obviously, I know, like, coming from the environment that you came from, you've basically just kind of stayed on this track to create an environment for other people
1: that you know is possible. It's no expectations, I think. I never, when I was younger, had these aspirations. I want to do this, and I want to get married and have kids, and I want to be Mm -hmm. a doctor, I want to... Right, you know, I just never had that. I, I, I take. I don't know what I'm going to be doing next month outside of. Granted, I'm running and I have that obligation. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. what form that's going to take, I have no clue. Yeah. Win or lose, you know, the first day, I have no clue what I'm going to do. I, I have policy thoughts and people I want to hire and things like that. If I don't win. I have no clue what I'm going to do. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay to not know and to let life kind of bring opportunities your way. Yeah. Um, I say yes to everything, even if it's the high school student in North Carolina that saw something on Vice that I was in that wants to interview me for their senior paper about drug policy reform. <laughs> I say yes to that. And it's been amazing to see things pay themselves back 10 years down the road when you least expect it mm. or when you never expected it. Um, so I don't know. I, I, as far as like why I'm running specifically, I think it's, I saw this mayor, this current mayor run unopposed three years ago, and we didn't have any conversations about the things that Denver's dealing with. Um, housing, homelessness, lack of affordability, our deteriorating environment here, our lack of investment in public uh, transportation. All these things were mas- massive problems three years ago. And had we a viable candidate to challenge him three years ago, we would have had those conversations, and I think Denver would be better off for it, win or lose by that candidate. And I saw the potential for him to run unopposed again and say I'm not going to let that happen. I am a very privileged person. I get that. Um, Although I'm a man of color who's dealt with his own racism in his life, um, I appear as a white man. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have businesses. I have money. I have a wide network. And for me to have that kind of privilege and not use it To benefit others um, would be a travesty and we need more people that have means and privilege to step out and fight for others that don't and that's why I'm doing it and I think at the very least we're gonna have a lot of conversations that we wouldn't have otherwise had. I think we're going to affect some policy along the way. We already are. Mm -hmm. Um, The mayor's starting to use our talking points. This guy's been in office for 15 years. He's never used the word social justice until the State of the the City Address the other day. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: give me a break. I've been fighting for social justice reform for 13, 14, 15 years, right? I've been living that, and you just started using that word. Like, give me a break. Um, so we're, we're changing the narrative already. Yeah, cool. And uh, I'm running because I know that if I win, we can do some very radical things here, and I'm, I don't mind calling them radical. Um, they're not radical in the sense that they're unproven, right? All the things that I'm looking at, public banking and social housing and decrimming public health issues and providing free tuition and providing free public transportation passes and all that, those happen all over the world. Mm-hmm. And those models have proven successful. There's no reason we can't do it here except that it pisses off those special interests. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I lose... Great, we affected stuff along the way and I'm going to have 30,000 people that are going to vote for me that I'm going to have a connection to that we can rabble-rouse and do all the things that we can to push from the private sector on this government to get better and to challenge them at every decision that they make.
0: Oh, fuck, man. It's a good challenge for you. And it's a, an awesome thing to do. You're absolutely right. Like to, to be able to challenge somebody just to at least have the discussion changes people's minds. Because they have to come up with some other way of dealing with you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're right there in their face. Yep. It's a good thing.
1: We're going to start knocking doors uh, next week, you know, 10 months before an election. Like that just does not happen. People are knocking doors two months before the election, mm-hmm. right? I'm five X in that. We've got 300 volunteers already wow. registered with the campaign. We outraised the mayor in the first quarter. We got six figures in the second. Um, we're putting pressure on a incumbent mayor that has not been seen in Denver in its history, um, wow. like we are right now, and we're just getting started. Yeah. Um, I just set aside these 13 businesses. Uh, that I have and five of my nine board seats to focus on this full-time. That in in and of itself is a privilege, Mm -hmm. right? That I can support myself doing this full-time for a year um, and I'm going to take advantage of that as much as I can and, and use this opportunity for all that it's worth.
0: Yeah. That's well, a good thing, and I appreciate that you're also unaffiliated too, because this isn't about winning against the other team. like this literally is for you about making some changes.
1: Yeah, it's not about being enemies with those people. It's about bringing more people in. Yeah. And when I tell people if I told people I was a Democrat, I automatically turn off so many people. Mm-hmm. Same thing if Republican. You turn off so many people. Being unaffiliated, I can actually unite people mm-hmm. and I can pull out the folks that are that are disenfranchised by their parties and work with them together without condescending, without, you know, fighting for fighting's sake Um, and hopefully draw some of those more moderate centrist people out to where they probably really actually believe um, what they actually believe but are kind of dogged down by the system as it is right now. Make them feel more comfortable stepping out and being honest about what they want to see.
0: Yeah, it takes a lot of confidence to be able to kind of roll with the flow like that. Uh, how did you develop that kind of confidence? Like, do you ever have doubt that comes up and just tells you, like, what the fuck
1: are you doing? Well, all the time. I mean, I'm, <laughs> a, I'm a very socially awkward person. I spent – used to be a hell of a lot more. I spent the – from kindergarten through ninth grade with a mentor um, that I spent half my day with one-on-one um, because I accelerated at certain things in – so they couldn't offer me certain classes, like math, especially in science – so I took. I, I was not with all the other kids for most of my days oh, in school, man. and that like built in a social awkwardness to me.
0: Yeah, um, exactly. I
1: didn't start public speaking until a couple years ago. Um, I didn't um, feel comfortable just being myself until a few years ago. Um, but it came from just kind of taking these risks and being okay with the discomfort and letting these things just build until one day you just realize that you don't have any more discomfort Mm. and, and not feeling that discomfort and saying, Oh, I didn't like that. I I can't do that again. Like just forcing yourself to do it again, saying, what do you have to lose? You know? Um, but it took a lot of time. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've been, I've lacked confidence all my life. Mm. Um, I still do it today. I'm still not happy with most things that I do. Um, and I think that's almost a, I, I use it as a positive. I take a look at these merit-based applications that I've worked on in the cannabis industry for some time where there'll be 160 applicants in Illinois, for instance, vying for 21 licenses. And I submitted five applications for this with various clients and partners. <clears throat> I was so disappointed when we submitted them. I was like, man, these things suck. They're a you know, thousand pages of content that I was just not happy with. And we get the scores back, we got the top three scores in the state out of 160 (laughs) applicants. And we got top score in in Nevada and Maryland and second highest in Pennsylvania, second highest in Florida, highest in Puerto Rico. And every time I submitted an application, I was disappointed with it. And it's just about putting high expectations on myself and knowing that whatever I'm doing... um, I never want it to be good enough, and I always know that tomorrow I'm going to have to do it better because that's how quickly the world is changing and evolving and growing. And everything that we're doing today is going to look sophomoric a year from now if we're doing it right, whether it's a political process or how we run a business or how we treat employees, that the evolution in everything is happening every day, and it's improving every day, and we need to be Mm -hmm. hip to that and, and perpetually be kind of dissatisfied with things. I think is okay. Um, it's okay to not be comfortable. It's okay to not be happy and let those things fuel you in the right way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fine line. Like having that element of doubt helps you question yourself make sure that you're always working to improve yourself but then having too much doubt makes you stop the process and I think that's where a lot of people you know get hung up that either they go too far into the confidence side and get comfortable and great that's your kind of conservative mindset thinking like nope keep it as it is we're good here I know it works we're all good and then you've got the other side where it's just like no focus no direction don't really know what I'm doing. And every avenue, as soon as I run into a wall, I'll kind of bounce off of it and go another direction because it all seems a bit too hard. Like finding that kind of central path. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'd say
1: don't think about it too much. You know, don't dwell on stuff that's bad. And I know that I can't speak to people that are really dealing with mental health concerns and things like that. I've had my own. I mean, I didn't realize when I started using cannabis when I was 15, and I've used it daily since, that I was using it medicinally. Right, mm-hmm. I was using it to deal with my depression and my anxiety and my inability to sleep because my mind was racing all the time, and, and that I was so busy that I forgot to eat two meals in a row, and it like reminded me that I need I had an appetite. <laughs> okay. um, I didn't realize that until I got into medical cannabis um, advocacy here about a decade ago, and I cannabis has really saved me from overthinking things. You know, whereas you whereas you you know we speak about it opening up and it does it opens up creativity. Um, but it also gets me to just quit thinking bad things. You know, when I get depressed, the best thing I can do is, is consume cannabis and all those worries go away. Yeah. And, and it's, not, it's not like numbing them to like an opioid, right? It's, it's, it's saying, I don't need to be worrying about this right now and takes it off my plate. Um, I can get back to it tomorrow when I start my day. Um,
0: yeah, I realized recently, like just because obviously it's not legal back home. And you never know what you're getting when you're back there. So, when I've come back to Colorado, and I was was so excited, like being able to experiment with all the different kinds of shit we've got going on here. Like, it's just amazing walking into a dispensary and seeing all of the options. It's unbelievable. And then I realized, like, oh, I haven't been smoking weed very much lately or having it, and I've been taking myself too seriously. Everything I'm doing, I feel like I'm kind of just a bit rigid. As soon as I started smoking weed again, it was like that rigidity in my life seemed to kind of fade away a little. And I was just kind of more at ease with myself, more comfortable. And I don't mean necessarily while I'm high even. It's just an, it's like a presence about me that all of that rigid, stuck, scared thinking is not in my brain anymore. It's just like, chill out, man, you yeah. know? All of that that weirdness inside my head that needs to be something, need to be a person, I need to, <laughs> everything feels tight, all that's gone.
1: Yeah, we're all figuring this out as we go. You know, nobody, anybody that says they know what they're doing, uh, they're full of it. I, don't oh, know. <laughs> I, I think it's okay to not know what you're doing. I think yeah. it's okay to be scared and to experience all these emotions. You just need to know how to release them. Some people do it through exercise. You know, some people do it through meditation or yoga. Um, some people do it through all those things and cannabis. Yeah, um, yeah. but finding that thing that you can really um, hit the reset button on kind of daily, uh, I think is something people need to find more. I think people take a lot too much of their worry to bed. Um, they sleep more poorly because of it. Uh, they dream about it, and then they wake up feeling like they didn't get any rest. Um, so just find that thing where you can just remove yourself from, yeah, life is hard and difficult and scary, and the future is uncertain. Um, it's not going to get any better anytime soon, so deal with it yeah. and find a way to escape um, that doesn't, you know, send you down a, a hole that's that's not productive. And I think cannabis is benign enough of a drug um, where it's a, it's a great escape for people that's not going to really affect your life uh, dramatically the next day and ongoing.
0: Yeah, and just having an awareness of that, too. Um, I mean, because that, that's the problem. We classify all drug users as drug users, you know, that you're in this criminal category. It's like... If it's not negatively impacting your life, it is. you don't have a problem there. And it shouldn't be classified as a problem. But you need to have the awareness when it is negatively impacting your life. And I, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people that you know think that things aren't negatively impacting their life. And this is another dangerous thing, too, is that we really aren't very aware of how we are in the real world. You know, you think that you might be operating at 120%, but you're not. And you need to have kind of that network of people around you. It's not just you. It's everybody else around you that, you know, developing that community that keeps you accountable and keeps you responsible.
1: And let's not be hypocrites about other substances out there. Um, but I like to speak of cannabis in the sense of why are we criminalizing something that is, or even demonizing once it's legalized, people that use it, uh, that's safer than a lot of legal things like alcohol, tobacco, McDonald's, sugar. Yes. Sugar kills far more people than cannabis does every year. Cannabis oh. doesn't, doesn't kill anybody. Sugar kills a ton of people. Yeah. Alcohol <laughs> kills one in seven people. McDonald's and, and other fast food and, and just these bad eating habits that we have kills far more people than cannabis. Why are we focusing on this thing that people are using in, in a large way very productively? Um, yeah, and, why and is not that? focusing on these more dangerous things because of the, the financial interest.
0: So it's again... And I... I mean, because I've watched a a few documentaries about this, and especially, like, the house I live in was a great one. I loved that. Um, And so it's showing that there's a lot of racial implications about the drug war in the first place in general. But, like, what I really can't understand is that there is that much evidence. There's so much evidence that sugar is fucking bad for us. we know that um, heart disease is and diabetes are the top two killers of everybody everywhere. But still we have traffic laws to worry about car accidents. Car accidents are a problem. Yeah, but McDonald's is worse. Mm-hmm. It's so bad.
1: There's a lot of financial interest in the way that things are today. And when you look at especially poor folks, right? We don't invest in these communities in education. We don't provide healthy food in these areas. We don't mm. provide adequate public transportation. We do all these things to make people's lives worse so that they can continue getting fed into our prison system, yeah. so they can continue being um, disengaged voters. Uh, when you look at the obesity rates in the poor neighborhoods in Denver, it's five and six times that what you see in West Wash Park or Cherry Creek. Right? It makes sense because it's cheaper to eat that way. The life expectancy in Valverde or Globeville, Glil- lyria Swansea, or Cap Hill is 10 years less than West Wash Park or Stapleton. And all of these, I mean, healthcare, right, is a huge moneymaker. And to keep people sick um, is big business. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly why these systems perpetuate. The lobbying efforts, it's it's not that, you could could take a look all day and blame local or state politicians. They don't have the power for some of these things to Mm -hmm. undo what's happening at the federal level Uh, in lobbying in putting so much money into Mm -hmm. politics. That's created the environment that we live in today. And I believe that the only way that we're going to turn around some of these systems is not at the federal level. We can't. The the, the, the systems are too big. The money is too great. um, That we have to start fires here locally um, that grow. When you look at the major changes that we've had in this country's history, from workers' rights to civil rights to LGBTQ to cannabis legalization, all those fires started very locally in cities and they grew into larger conversations. We started changing policy locally. We started to see that the sky wasn't gonna fall. We proved concept. Those became state conversations. And then once you get so many states on board, like we're seeing with cannabis right now, 35 mm-hmm. plus medical, almost a dozen adult use, now we're starting to have a federal conversation. That's mm-hmm. how we need to fix banking. That's how we need to fix housing. That's how we need to fix this mm-hmm. criminal justice system, is proving this new model here locally. And we should be the, um, the this um where democracy is really tried out um, hmm. is in these cities that's what that was the intent all the way back when it wasn't to have this federal overlord right it was yeah. to, to try things locally here in these small little um, test cases yeah and if they prove successful let's grow them and, and spread them across this country and I think we need to get back to some of that
0: yeah well should yeah well this whole thing was a grassroots thing from the start wasn't it in
1: Colorado the, with the cannabis. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, 13 years ago when I started, 14 years ago, we collected signatures to get on the ballot with no money. It was all volunteer driven. And we couldn't, I, I couldn't beg people for 10 bucks. You know, people tell you you're stupid. You know, this is never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. um, even if it does, the city's going to squash it. Just pessimistic. Um, doubters uh, on this whole process and people that didn't want to put money in it and now you have uh, companies going public valued at two and a half billion dollars in cannabis yeah, you know, and they're small companies compared to what's out there in alcohol and some of these others so that happened in the span of a decade yeah, you know? wow. so think what could happen on these other topics if we actually have passionate people locally um, that are fighting for something and are willing to, because they know it's right, um, fight for it and work with others in other cities to perpetuate that. That's that's what we need to do to start the fires. We need to do to change things around here.
0: Yeah. What do you think is right?
1: I think there is no necessarily right or wrong. I think it's different for every person. Uh, I think there are there are wrong things, and what's wrong is is doing harm to other people. Mm-hmm. And I think if you have a law... Uh, or you uh, act personally in a way that hurts, harms, or puts other people at a disadvantage, that's wrong. I don't know that there is a right. I think it's people should live as free as possible mm-hmm. and create and act in a manner that is unique to them and to do whatever they want to do as long as it's not harming somebody else Mm -hmm. and if people want to live outside they should be allowed to live outside in a way that doesn't harm other people Mm -hmm. and that's where we've gotten right now is we you know there are maybe five to ten percent of the homeless folks here that want to live outside the rest don't but we apply Mm -hmm. that kind of thinking um, to this whole population I think that's very dangerous when we you know, just because you had a bad incident with a black person that it makes you a racist, right? Yeah, or to, to say that just because... Is there a huge systemic cultural issue in our police force with murdering folks? Does that mean every police officer's bad? No, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we just... We get too general um, on populations of people. I think that's wrong. Um, outside of that, I don't think there is a right. I yeah. think people should be able to live how they want to live. And that the government should allow for that kind of uh, flourish and creativity and, and p- allowing people to thrive and find their own success mm. um, as much as possible because it's going to cost all of us less at the end of the day, I think, money and time and resource-wise.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and the amount of like creative thinking that we're missing out on by not giving these people a voice as well is dangerous. I mean, the amount of ideas that you could have from somebody who has experienced the problem will probably be the best one to help create the solution, but if they don't have a voice, how are you ever going to know? How are you going to ever know what they could come up with? And this is an interesting thing, too, because I mean, psychologically we have a real problem with people that, um, you know, seeing a homeless person on the street. It's because in our psychology we go, there are a species of the same as me. I could be that person. I could be fucked up like them, so I need to look away, and, and it's probably their own fault. They got here because they did something wrong, not because it could happen to any of us. Because I think that's what people are mostly afraid of. It's just looking at it and going, shit, that could be me. And instead of acknowledging, oh, shit, that could be me. Let me help figure out how to help this. They go, shit, that could be me. Instead of it could be me, no, it was their fault. They fucked up somewhere.
1: <coughs> yeah, and I used to think, of, I mean, 13 years ago when I moved here, I hadn't really seen a lot of homeless folks. We didn't have a ton in Lincoln, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And when I moved out here, I'd see people on the on the corners everywhere. And I'd be, I was definitely thinking differently than I do today I'd say why don't you get a job no why don't you why don't you do something I would go my mom worked two to three jobs to to keep her and two kids afloat you tell me you can't get a job and take care of yourself yeah and that was before I started getting in with these communities and realizing all these reasons why people get put in these places and it was it was taking the time to learn and to go sleep outside with them and to sit down and have conversations with them and you realize man they're kind of just like you Like they deal with a lot of the same struggles, Mm -hmm. um, but they didn't have some of the support that I did. Right. Maybe, maybe I could be in that position if I didn't have the mom that I did, or if I didn't have a friend that, you know, got me out of thinking a certain way about myself or, um, if I had, you know, got fired instead of quit when it was most opportunistic for me, you know, all these things, um, I've always had healthcare in my life, you know, what if some of these things that have happened to me, I didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, so it just helps bring, uh, an empathy uh, to, the, to the conversation and I think once you get deep into these conversations about social policy and you start to really understand the people especially when it comes to drugs mass incarceration and homelessness it's hard to understand the reality and who these people are and not want to get involved yeah, wow. and it, I, I couldn't imagine knowing what I know and trying to be oblivious to it yeah. and s- sitting in my bubble that I, I would feel terrible about myself
0: yeah, I mean. Wow. I mean that's a good driving force for you. Absolutely. I mean it's a scary thing. It's a sad thing that this shit even exists, but it, it's what gives you a reason to live really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, our education system the way it is and why we suppress creative thought, why we suppress drugs that open up, why we, you know, suppress uh, uniqueness and individuality in this country anymore is because there is a lot wrong. Yeah. And once you get hip to some of this stuff, it uh, they know that once people know and they start collaborating, especially with, with social media being what it is and, and the internet and this information-sharing age that we're in, yeah. um, how quickly things could self-destruct for some of these special interests, <laughs> which I think we're starting to see some of now. Yeah, um, thank God for that. And we need to continue. I want to say this about marches really quick uh, because we are using this information age to, like, coalesce people around certain topics very quickly for marches, mm-hmm. I just hope that people don't see that as the end-all, be-all to that topic. I know so many people that go march once a year for women's rights or for gun policy reform or for whatever, and what do they do the other 364 days of the year? Are they calling city council members? Are they giving public testimony at our legislature? Are um, are Are they doing other things every other day of the year? to impact that conversation. And I would say most people that go to those marches, it's probably not the case that they do something else. And that's the problem. We can't get into this mentality that just because we showed up en masse on this topic and made this big statement and got on the news and held a sign and felt good about ourselves, that we actually changed anything. Because yeah. most of the things that people are marching on and have since Trump, nothing's changed. Yeah, in mean, fact, some of them have gotten worse. And we need Yeah, there's polarization.
0: I mean, there's a lot of that going on up mm-hmm. here.
1: We need to understand that we need to be engaged every day, that we need to be, you know, we can be passionate, but be civil and uh, and bring people to the table that you disagree with. That's okay. I don't know how many people I've talked to in the Democratic Party um, who have said that they would never work with a Trump supporter on something. Like, that is the wrong behavior. Yeah. Most people that voted for Trump did it out of fear. Because they're afraid of losing what they have. Their quality of life is reduced in America, has been reduced over the last couple decades, and they're scared. And they saw this guy as a a difference, right, a a differentiator to what we've had. And they did it out of fear. They didn't do it, a lot of them, because they're racist people. Granted, there are a, a lot of those folks out there still, and we've learned that. Um, a, lot of th- a lot of those people just need to be coerced to be a part of the conversation yeah. And to be brought to the table And I think if we can do that we can get a lot further I don't care if a Trump supporter and I disagree 99% of the time If that person agrees on harm reduction principles that I'm trying to execute on I'm going to work with that person on that You better mm-hmm. believe it I don't need to work with them on anything else yeah. um, But I want to have those people at the table And that's where unaffiliated really comes in yeah. um, I'm not just unaffiliated in politics I'm unaffiliated in religion you know, I went to my first church service in my life last fall. You know, I know less about religion than most people I know. I yeah. think that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a it's a benefit. Again, I don't close doors to people just because of this arbitrary religious designation that people are either born into or they believe in because they're trying to set some moral values in their life. Um, I have no issue with any religion. Um, just don't use it against people. Mm-hmm. Don't use politics against people. I have no... I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. Just don't use that against people. Yeah, that's yeah. that. That's where we're at right now is divisiveness based on really arbitrary ideologies, mm. and we need to stop that and be more unaffiliated and more unique in our thought.
0: Yeah. Well, what's your thoughts on the sort of far, very far left wing ideologues, like this kind of idea that I, I feel? a little bit like they're exactly the same as these really crazy far right wing pretty much the people that they imagine the rest of the world is are exactly the same as them their method of thinking is identical as you were talking about it a little bit before it's like it's a program they're running is that whatever filter they're pushing that idea through either way their method of thinking is identical they're both very conservative thinking Stuck in their ways, rigid people. But one group of them is thinking that everybody's a Nazi. The other group of people is thinking that all brown people should die. Do you know what I mean? Like that, they're insane. Both of them, but they're both exactly the same people. And for some reason, they can't see each other. And I don't understand that.
1: Yeah, I'm. You know, I uh, do. I need to agree with those people. No. Um, am I kind of happy they exist? Actually, yeah, um, because they provide a contrast to more reasonable thought. Yeah, right true. Yeah. Um, if we were all stuck in the middle and all centrist it would be very hard to decipher what's right and what's wrong mm. and I think it's okay to have people that are I mean am I glad Hitler existed hell no um, the guy committed like ridiculous atrocities but as long as we can remember that as an example of what we should be not <laughs> yeah man. Um, it, we need to have those examples in life I think from a, a moral and ethical perspective yeah and we need to take the bad things that happen every day in life and use those as a contrast to what we should be pursuing and fighting for. Yeah. And, you know, there's and not not as extreme as like Antifa or something like that, but there's this other candidate uh, running for mayor, Caitlin Heffernan, and she's a disability rights advocate. She's in a, a punk band. She, um, way further left than I am, um, I would consider her a friend. Um, I'm glad she's in the race because she makes even my kind of left-leaning ideals look more reasonable and moderate (laughs) and you know Kaylin is she's one of the people and I agree with everything that she says I just don't know that they're achievable right Mm -hmm. like if she had her way we would say let's tear down all the buildings in downtown and give it back to indigenous peoples yeah right do I agree with that probably <laughs> so yeah. I think that that should be the case yeah is it possible I don't think so mm. um, And but I appreciate her being in the race to have conversations about things that don't do, get discussed enough Yeah, um, and also to create that contrast to something that I believe is more achievable And would make a a really dramatic difference in people's lives.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's really good. I think it would help a lot of people had a bit more um, knowledge of history. Like, the way that we're taught in school is, like, memorize this date, put that down, write this thing out. And then by the time you've done the test, you forgot everything that you just learned. And I I think that, especially in myself included, like, I seeing that there was so much social injustice and especially just with the advent of the internet me reading these articles about weed especially and then it just kind of opened the idea to the whole structure of how fucked up everything was um, isn't that funny that just me wanting to smoke weed <laughs> led me to an entire, like, political agenda? But the idea, seeing that there's some social justice, injustice, the idea of, like, ah, fuck the system, we don't. We need communism again, going back to socialism. But I had no historical knowledge of communism and what it actually had done and what it had become. And the amount of times that it's been tried and completely fucked people up. Mm-hmm. And it was a disaster. And everybody nowadays, still a lot of proponents of kind of Marxist thinking, are, have not even even considered what's actually happened in the past. Mm -hmm. We have no historical knowledge. I read, um, my favorite authors is Milan Kundera. He's a Czech writer, and he writes a lot about that period of time in Czechoslovakia when they became the Czech Republic. Mm -hmm. And uh, and just having a human perspective on how these things actually play out with each other, not just an ideological idea about them, you really can start to actually mold an idea that makes sense, that works.
1: Yeah, labels are scary. I mean, on paper, a lot, socialism, communism, capitalism, they all work, right, on yes, paper. Yes, exactly. In execution, they don't, because humans are flawed, humans are selfish, um, humans want power, humans have ego, mm-hmm. and that ultimately makes these things unattainable. So I hate labels, you know, mm-hmm. and people always ask me to try to label what I think is, uh, I don't know, most appropriate as far as, like, how we structure ourselves and if it was achievable and and could be executed like it would on paper as social capitalism right just like what i mentioned earlier where everybody has the basic necessity and we don't criminalize people for surviving and if people want to have um, more than others and they want to work harder for it that they should have it Mm -hmm. and on paper and in theory that sounds wonderful um could we ever achieve it probably not Um, (laughs) even if we did would it work Probably not yeah. um, but I think that we should still use these things as driving values right there's mm-hmm. there's still some, <clears throat> some some value in communism and socialism and people wanting to pursue that. there's still value in people wanting to pursue capitalism we just can't go too far in thinking that it's my way or the highway on these ideologies yes yeah. and that it has to be this um, there's there's got to be compromise in all these systems because the world is a very diverse place. Yeah. And we're going to continue killing each other for no reason other than that we think differently, um, which is uh, which is the worst part of I think human nature yeah. um, that we kill people based in in really arbitrary disagreements. Yeah. Very sad.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that idea about ego, and I'll probably let us go at this point because we've probably been talking for too long. <laughs> I don't want to take up too much of your life, but um, you know, human beings we do have ego, but. Some people are kind of better at keeping them in check and not... And some systems kind of perpetuate that ego or build it up a little bit more. I notice it in fighting, obviously. You have to be this personality. You have to sell tickets. You have to become a brand. And you have to put on a show for people. And if you don't have that element of your ego, you get passed up. You get overlooked. And in politics, obviously, it's very much the same. How do you find, like how do you find the best way and are you worried about yourself getting lost in your own ego or your own brand of yourself
1: yeah I've thought about that I think I agree if uh, some level of ego is necessary some level of narcissism is necessary Um, some level of you know all these kind of quote unquote bad words are necessary Um, but they also build confidence and I think you need Um, that level of confidence and feeling that what you're doing is right and moral in some Mm -hmm. sense to be able to push through the muck there's going to be a lot of muck Um, you know personal attacks have already started um, on me in this campaign they're only going to get worse I'm going to be you know torn down for a lot of reasons and I think you have to be strong person to to deal with some of that and some of that comes along with having an ego and being narcissistic but yeah it's just not letting it go too far. Um, how do you keep that in check? I don't know. Remember your roots and remember the people that you're fighting for and to remain connected to them.
0: Yeah, so you're facing to
1: do something difficult because the
0: idea is greater than you. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, good for you and best of luck. I
1: definitely hope you
0: get in there. It'll be really good to see what you can do.
1: Thank you. It's awesome. I'm excited to, to go a little crazy in the best way possible <laughs> yeah. and, and really challenge some things that I think are are hurting a lot of people, not just in Denver, but across the country. And I think that Denver, as much as we need to fix things here, that if we can fix them here, that we can be a template for the rest of the country. An example, there's a lot of eyes on Denver right now for a lot of reasons. And we can be a great example for the rest of the country outside of just cannabis policy reform.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you've got that model that started, so definitely why not roll with the momentum? Exactly. Well, it was really good talking to you. Likewise. Really, really good talking to you. Thanks for sitting down. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And we'll um, follow you and see what happens. How um, can can people find you?
1: Uh, So the website for the campaign is kayvon dot com. It's K-A-Y-V-A-N-F-O-R-D-E-N-V-E-R.com. Uh, I've got a lot of information on there. I've got a pretty extensive Wikipedia page as well uh, that has info on it. And uh, I think pretty much links to everything you could possibly want about my social media um, are within those pages.
0: Okay. No problem. I'll have all those links on the post, and we'll have this out there in the next few
1: weeks. Wonderful. Thanks for having me.